welcome to Dutch Wine Apprentice, the podcast. The following podcast is an integral recording of our talk show, Cellar Talks. This show was broadcasted through Instagram Live on our Instagram page. For this reason, there might be references of images shown in the show and audio quality is affected. The full video recording of this show can be watched through our Instagram page in the IGTV section. This show, Season 3, Episode 5, was broadcasted on Friday the 30th of April 2021. In this episode, we welcome Ina Udartseva, who works for Villa Maria Wines, one of New Zealand's biggest wine companies. Ina is responsible for market development in Europe and an expert on New Zealand as a wine country. In the show, we talked about the past, present and future of New Zealand as a wine country. We discussed the wine regions, terroir, and the principal wines that are being produced in the country. We also tasted one of New Zealand's iconic red wines, a 2014 The Terraces by Esk Valley Wines. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Cellar Talks. And today we're in episode 5 of season 3. And we're going to talk about New Zealand as a wine country. So uh, we're going to discuss uh, the different regions of New Zealand and, uh, of course, uh, the characteristics. And we're going to talk about some of the wineries in New Zealand and the wines. So uh, in a minute, we'll uh, join. Uh, we'll have Ina joining us, and Ina is going to tell us more about uh, New Zealand. So let's see if we can get her in the show. Hey, Ina. Renafon, good evening. How um, are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So uh, celebrating the weekend and um, yeah, just looking forward to the to our glass of wine together. So yeah. we've we've got a very interesting glass of wine. So um, if if everything fails, we still have a good wine at least today. <laughs> but uh, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of the failure because. Uh, we did a chat uh, on Wednesday about New Zealand on Clubhouse, and uh, mm-hmm. I think that uh, was very insightful. So, uh, also from other people, I heard that uh, they joined that they uh, really liked the conversation. So, um, I'm happy that we can do a part two. And uh, for the people that didn't watch, we can do a part one actually today. Definitely, we have discussed New Zealand in a very broad sense, you know, and it was very interesting. And I hope we can get more into that today, like zoom in maybe on a region. Uh, for example, the wine we're going to drink, because I think there's so much more interesting things to tell about New Zealand than just mm-hmm. only Marlboro and only Sauvignon Blanc. So I hope, um, yeah, we discover. Yeah, I, I, I want to I start just facing uh, that big point first, but uh, in a minute. First, we do the introduction from your side, and then we're going to talk about why New Zealand is more than Sauvignon Blanc and Marlboro. So... Um, uh, I'll give you a couple of minutes to introduce yourself to those who don't know you and uh, tell us what you do and what you do, uh, what you have with wine in New Zealand. Okay, first of all, does everybody hear me well? Because I feel I'm sitting so far away. I don't know. Do you hear me well? Yeah, it's okay. okay. Perfect. <laughs> so what I'm doing, um, I work um, for a New Zealand uh, wine company and I'm responsible for the European market. So. Uh, for the strategy, the sales and uh, development of um, of the brand in, in Europe. So I'm in charge of 11 markets in total, which I find very interesting. Some of them very emerging. So there's a lot of work need to be done there mm-hmm. to, uh, to teach about New Zealand. You have to start from the 
from the beginning. And uh, of course, some advanced market like France and Portugal, when you have much more like in-depth discussions and uh, usually about cork, but okay, <laughs> this is also, yeah, New Zealand is screw cap, so it, it, it's part it's of the topic. Uh, I mean, you might topic, as well yeah. start with it. <laughs> So uh, the wine, most of the wine, I think 97% of the New Zealand wine is um, with screw caps, closures. And I think just in general, people know very little, little about New Zealand. So my message is to collaborate with organizations like New Zealand Enterprise, the wine growers here in Europe. We organize events. We promote New Zealand as a country, um, as a wine country. And... Um, yeah, so I'm very passionate so about it. educating uh, Europeans, more or less, on uh, New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, uh, also uh, giving them access to some nice wine while you're at it. Exactly, yeah. So um, you work for Villa Maria. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Villa Maria, just to give an idea about uh, uh, what size of company and, and, and what are they known for in New Zealand? Yes, yeah, so Villa Maria is one uh, of the biggest still family-owned businesses in New Zealand. Like, you know, uh, when Savion Blanc really got big, there were a lot of foreign investors coming in. The bottom of the companies, for example, Pernod Ricard bought Brancat, and you have um, Cloudy Bay has been bought by Louis Vuitton, Moet Hennessy Group. So, but it's still a business in New Zealand. 100% you get a New Zealand bottle from grape to the packaging. Um, everything is New Zealand located and we have several brands which we purchased and it's also interesting story behind Ask Valley um, and which we kind of like uh, incorporated in a strategy also the winemaking methods but also how we organize our wineries and really um, kind of dust it off and really put it put it on the map again so you help um, them but you also give them to have to develop their own identity and maintain that. The story stays. I mean, I think story is so important that will always stay and it's always very interesting to tell. But for example, even the, the wine we're going to taste today, the terraces. The terraces, uh, there was a trial with the original owner to, to, to make wine there and then he kind of gave up and they planted pines there because like, what else we're going to use the land for? But then Fila Maria took over in the, in the 80s and planted the, uh, the vines again, searched for the right mix, and really kind of made, made it, um, like gave honor to the, to the area again because it's such a special place. It's also, it also wasn't like an, um, how you say it, a place we call Pa, like an inhabitant, not a Maori village, I would say. The Maori lived there, they used like a fort. It's like a special place for Maori called Haipipi. Hence the name of the wine. So uh, you really want to capture that because um, uh, as we're developing New Zealand as a wine country, it's very interesting to, to not let those places kind of fade away. Yeah. And that's what Vasil Maria did. So they uh, took ownership of the business. They uh, hired Gordon Russell, who is one of the best winemakers in New Zealand. He's excellent. And he put his heart and soul into Espelli the wine we're going to taste. Um, so how many different so, wineries or let's say, um, brand, yeah, wineries, yeah. I would say, in the yeah. So in total, we have about 15 uh, wineries in the group. For example, I don't know if you know Fidal, Anthony Fidal, mm -hmm. he to make very good Chardonnays in New Zealand. Uh, we have Leftfield. We have several brands, but Fila Maria will, um, is a, uh, a household name in New Zealand. Like yeah. you see the vineyards when you, you look out the window uh, out of the plane. 
Santa Maria served a board of, exclusively of Air New Zealand and Air Singapore. So you're already in the whole like yeah. New Zealand wine mode. Your first introduction <laughs> to New Zealand is Villa Maria, more or less. Exactly. And it's still um, like the owner, Sir George, is Croatian. So I think it's important to say, because we're going to talk about it later, how the Croatians influenced the wine industry in New Zealand. Um, yeah, and he also got knighted for his contribution to the industry. So it's it's a very like a big thing on the professionals, and I think also on the consumers. Um, yeah, so okay. a lot of people. And um, how long have you been working with Villa Maria now? I've been working there for two years. So okay. uh, um, I got all my uh, levels. I'm still waiting for WZ3. Um, yeah, but I can testify. You know, you know, you know. Uh, at least you know also a lot about New Zealand, and otherwise I would not have invited you as a guest because oh, those those yeah. who watch frequently know that I don't invite people that don't know their business. So uh, I wasn't afraid about that. I mean, uh, they train you very well, and I think you've been there a couple of times, I guess. Or well, uh, because of the the at lockdown, the moment it's difficult last year, I guess. Yes, exactly, and then uh, but. The first thing we're going to do this year, we're allowed to go again. But to be honest, I got so many training in the past, in the lockdown. I got from winemakers, from the people that are the best. Uh, sometimes at 10 in the morning, because I have to go by New Zealand time. Mm -hmm. then, <laughs> you, then you've had enough of it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, uh, I, I tried everything. I had a very good training and still... Um, yeah, so the past year has been very good in development of the knowledge part. Yeah, well, yeah. a lot of a lot of things change. Obviously, it's the same with, uh, for example, uh, my course provider with WSAT. They have now um, masters of wine giving courses, which normally they're not available. They're always on the plane, or they're mm -hmm. traveling, or they're doing symposia or anything. But at the moment, they're sitting at home, so you can take advantage of knowledge that is not always available. And obviously, online and digitally, uh, that's that works perfectly. So it but doesn't stop. Like it's increased more. Or less last year oh it increased i mean we have such in-depth knowledge like the, the vineyard management a lot of technical things uh, you can a lot be of, a vineyard uh, manager now by now i mean i feel like i'm a little bit of everything right now i mean it was so amazing to uh, uh to to notice things that you maybe not have time because if you travel like half or 40 percent of your time you don't have the time to go into depth uh it's about momentum, what you see so it's a snapshot it's not I mean, you're exactly. there and then you go. So I feel like when I'm going to be there, I have already like a very theoretical build up in my mind. I'm going to apply it everywhere. It's going to work to the maximum, I think. So uh, yeah. I, I hope that won't take too long anymore. But uh, I'm okay. sure uh, we will have brighter days on, on that perspective. Um, okay, so um, to back to New Zealand, um, because that's the main topic of today. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe we can start a little bit about the history, because in the end, um, we talked about it on Wednesday. Um, okay, there is, a, 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 let's say, a longer history already, but it really started not that long ago uh, to, let's say, evolve and explode uh, to what it is right now. So take us a little bit through the, pipe, the timeline that we have with uh, New Zealand as, as a developing wine country. Yeah, so uh, the first pines were planted uh, in 1890. So New Zealand celebrated the 200th anniversary in 2019. Uh, but it didn't really take up the ground because obviously there was 
not really much focus on it, but also not much expertise as we have now. And then when we got uh, beginning 1900s, uh, then um, there was a lot of like, um, how do you say it? Not stop. There were a lot of limitations also on alcohol to ban kind oh, of. Oh yeah, the probation, the, the alcohol bans. The probation, yeah. the big yeah. alcohol probation. Like, um, I remember they have this thing where the pubs had to close at six. Like we think we are in the. protect the people from drinking too much. <laughs> from drinking too much, alcoholism, and um, it just didn't work out. Of course, you cannot develop industry if if you have such strict rules, and I think it really started to come up after that was all over. And you have like a lot of um, the immigrants that I told you about. They came mm -hmm. there. Yeah. People used to drink fortified wines, port and sherry. There was not really a wine culture there. Yeah. But also but heavy stuff. <laughs> the heavy stuff because they worked in the mine. Like a lot of people did very heavy work. They came there to chase their dreams, you know, mm -hmm. to work to work in the mines on the land. There wasn't really like this refined drinking culture. But then this, the Croatian the immigrants came. And um, they they were used to drink wine with dinner, you know. They were used to yeah. have that as wine. As a companion with their meal. <laughs> yes, with food. And it was just this, this culture. So they start to um, make their own wines in the backyards, just as a hobby. And uh, some of them made a business out of it. And it's still like a big, big Croatian footprint in New Zealand. Fila Maria, for example, is part of the family of 12. All Croatian um, families who like support each other, have tastings, like this community feeling is still very much there. Yeah. And, so on and, that power. And, and then, and then, of course, uh, we uh, went through some phases with different grapes and wines um, mm -hmm. before going into Sauvignon Blanc. So, what were we, uh, uh, let's say, in, in the first 100, 150 years, what, what, what kind of grapes would you ex could you expect in New Zealand? Well, I think the first kind of uh, writing in the 1800s, what they gave me, like, delicious, delicious, lightly sparkling wines. I don't know what kind of wine it was, was not mentioned, but <laughs> already then people were talking about this minerality that you have, this natural kind of um, sparkling uh, yeah. feel to the white wines, I think it was already there. But uh, when they really got serious uh, in the 1900s, they started to um, mostly do white wines, like Moulet Turgau. Uh, Chardonnay was actually the number one planted variety mm -hmm. before Savion Blanc. And then they discovered Hogs Bay, and that's the wine that we're going to drink now. Yeah. From there, and then, hey, you can make amazing reds here. Yeah. And so the reds came after. But I would say, uh, yeah, Savion Blanc came in, I think the first finds were planted in 97, of 79, I'm sorry, 79. So in the 80s, the big boom came of the of yeah, Savion so Blanc. 40 years ago, more or less. Um, yeah, I cannot believe it. And yeah, but, 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 but how, how did, do you have recognition, recollection of uh, how that happens? Is there one particular person that at some moment yeah. found out that Savion Blanc was working very well? Or how did that go, do you know? I, I do know how it go, but I have to say amongst the industry, the story is so different. And but everybody uh, claims to have be to be the first <laughs> one that discovered Sauvignon Blanc for New Zealand. Yeah, because one thing is kind of like planted, the other things to harvest successfully. Yeah. Or where do you kind of draw a line? Because it takes a while for for wine yeah, it needs to, be to good. grow for mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of years before you can do anything with it, and then it needs to evolve at least. So yeah. 
just take time. Yeah. I believe that just one person just made like for what I heard, like made a big investment, bought some land there, and just planted Savio Blanc. They want to try it out, and it became very big success. And I think it was from Montana Company, which I think is now. Um, Brankant estate, but I'm not sure. Yeah, but like, that, that's but what happens. Right? People see, well, okay, something is working. Then uh, somebody comes in with money. Uh, they can invest a little bit more. And then, I mean, it's not the originator of the idea, more or less, but it's the one who, who, who let's say, takes it off and, well, uh, enables the growth. And at, at some point, well, it turned out to be a good, uh, a great success. Yeah. Because what happened then with the Sauvignon Blanc? As we know it right now, New Zealand, Sauvignon Blanc is a, is a pairing. It's a one and two. Yeah, yeah and I remember somebody in the, in the clubhouse asked me about Gimblet Gravels because I was kind of raving about it. And they say, uh, when, was it, uh, when was it a thing? And I looked it yeah. up and it was in the 1990s. So even younger, but they discovered Gimblet Gravels. And... Um, and this is really a collective. You have like also a website called Gimlet Gravel. So it's a collective. They all tell the story there. They don't see this competition. They see like, hey, we have this amazing place. They have the same you know, heritage. We have to promote they, uh, it. Yeah, yeah, we have to promote it as a general. We have to tell people about this rub lens that are coming from New Zealand. Yeah. And um, yeah. And um, so maybe we go a little bit into uh, the different regions of New Zealand because we already mentioned some, but let's take it back a little bit because for those people that are not familiar or only know one thing uh, or two things, mm -hmm. so Blanc mm -hmm. and Marlboro, then yeah. let's do a, let's say overview of, of, well, the most important regions. We don't have to discuss all of them, but. Yeah, so um, Marlboro is on the Southern Island. And uh, so you have two islands uh, in New Zealand, mm -hmm. um, uh, the, uh, the, the north and the south. So on the southern island, we have Marlboro, which is famous for Savio Long, but actually pretty much everything can be grown there except for, uh, of course, the Redlands. Mm -hmm. um, so we have Pinot Noir, we have Chardonnay, we have Savio Long. Riesling, uh, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, Riesling also, exactly. And then we have a Central Otago, which is even further south, and it's really surrounded by a lot of mountains. So that's why it's still sheltered and, and warm there, So, but still cool enough for Pinot Noir to grow there. So it's a like, very special spot where they grow Pinot Noir. And um, then on the northern island, we have um, Hogs Bay, which has the Gimlet Gravels, we have Gisborne, which we have Chardonnay, um, and we have um, Auckland itself, which is like a metropole, but it's still a little piece of vineyards there. We also grow Chardonnay. Um, not everybody grows uh, Albarino uh, and Gerustramine. They're still very much a niche, but I think they're also grown in, um, in Gisborne. Gisborne Albarino, but it's there, like, I think the first Albarino finds, uh, Pila Maria, for example, planted the finds there in 2010. So it's, yeah. it's, it's baby, baby, baby steps. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this is the general layout. Chardonnay. So, so in, in the south, um, uh, to recap, Marlborough and um, what was the other one? Uh, Central Otago? Central Otago is Pinot Noir. Uh, Marlborough and then, has Pinot Noir. And the north is Hawks Bay is the most well known and then there are uh, like the a red lot of others and, uh, yeah. yeah so Cabernet uh, Savion, Cabernet Franc Merlot, 
uh, Syrah. Mm-hmm. I have to say, if I have to mention the most really popular one is of course Syrah, and it's Merlot. Um, Cabernet Sauvignon has a little hard time to to ripen there. That's why also we had it first on the terraces, and then we planted it with Cabernet Franc, which gave much more the power, much more color, um, much much more the same kind of like intensity and color to the wine, and it was much easier to ripe uh, actually. Yeah. Okay. And um, so tell us a little bit about what makes you, as New Zealand unique in terms of the uh, terroir and the climate, because there's a nice story behind that. Uh, people think, okay, if you can grow all these grapes, which is already yeah. interesting because I didn't know, uh, I thought only Sauvignon Blanc. Now you're telling me, ah, you can have this grape and that grape. So uh, some people might think in their head, okay, what is this this miraculous country where everything works? I mean... Why does this work? Well, you have to think like 150 years ago, New Zealand was mostly rainforest. Uh, so it has very like rich ancient soil um, um, that is packed with minerals and nutrients. There's, there were a lot of rivers uh, because it's an island, of course. You have also like the sea with the time was moving, the rivers were moving. And they were leaving kind of this this layer behind of the, the, the deposit. deposit, yeah. Some some of the um, uh, soils really have like the, the the like kind of the crushed broken shell composition and uh, yep. uh, ancient clay, the papa clay uh, soil, but also pebbles that sometimes come to the shore from the from the ocean bottom. You know, they kind of like end up uh, at in the land. So it's just a great variety of this rich mineral um, soil. So the soil. The soil alone is already interesting yeah. because you have this big diversity and nutrition, yeah. like you said, it's a rich soil. Yeah. Yeah, and, and also and then we the talk about the temperature and uh, and, and yeah, the, yeah, the obviously we need sun to grow grapes. So the photosynthesis, so but the temperature the in the day and the night. Exactly, the temperature is so diverse. But what what's really special about New Zealand? that you cannot replicate anywhere in the world. It's that uh, New Zealand is located under the bleeding ozone layer. Um, so there's a lot of UV radiation coming through, which makes it possible for the grapes to ripen. And also um, there's a very clear air in New Zealand because it's so isolated, you know, uh, there's not a lot of pollution like we know here in Europe. So the UV uh, radiation is even stronger. Yeah. And uh, But it's still very cold and cool. Uh, at night, and uh, there can be but wind. That's a big difference wind. between the day and the night temperatures. Yeah. Exactly, and and this difference, this kind of dynamic between the the hot day and the cold night, is what keeps the grapes very fresh. Uh, the grapes acidity. even harvest. Yeah, they keep their acidity and um, they keep kind of the juiciness. And you know, if you have like a good thick skin, that's where all the flavor is. Um, so you get like concentrated and nice wine. Okay. Yeah. And for those who don't know what, uh, uh, well, you touched a little bit of the depleting ozone layer, but uh, if you're not yeah. a scientist, everybody thinks about the hole in the ozone, uh, but it's it, it works essentially as sort of a magnifying glass. So um, what you're saying, if you compare it to, let's say, uh, another wine growing country on the same uh, parallels, yeah. Uh, the difference is that um, the, the, actually there, there is a magnifying effect on the sunlight and this goes into 
creating uh, more intense uh, flavors. But this is also, uh, if I'm correct, uh, what creates the, yeah, how they call it always um, with New Zealand and with Sauvignon Blanc, the... Uh, Tiles. Uh, do you mean this? Like, or the... Yeah, well, this fruit bump, uh, this effect, this, also the tropical fruits, etc., etc. these notes. <coughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's the yeah that creates the the tropical notes and the um, the compound responsible for this it's called the tiles. So in New Zealand there's a lot of tiles uh, located. They don't know exactly why. They think it's because of well, of course research research has shown it's because of the UV, but it's not only thing because then everywhere we had UV or uh, you know it will be the same thing. But it's yeah. it's it's a very difficult compound. Uh, they not quietly know how it develops. It can develop like one part and another part doesn't develop. Uh, they say, for, for example, machine harvesting also creates a lot of stress in the plants, uh, in the vines. So it gets like a tile bomb. I don't know. It's very yeah, difficult. But the, 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 the fact is that it's there I and mean, it has this effect. The fact is there and it's very New Zealand. That has been proven. And uh, because if it has like a specific... Um, Thing, it could be recreated and it cannot yeah. be recreated because this There's is very new you can recreate, but this you cannot recreate no this you cannot recreate you, and um, yeah that's what I found in New Zealand uh, okay. and especially when the vines are new you have more of them so that's why when the first um, batches of Sauvignon Blanc came along they were really packed with tiles because the younger the, the vine the more uh, yeah, so it evens, it evens out when the vine gets mature, more mature. So, uh, exactly. So. so that's why I think people fell in love with it because we had really like amazing uh, wine the first few. Yeah, but it's something, uh, it's something that, I mean, it's a synonym for, especially in the Sauvignon Blanc, but for New Zealand wine. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, well, there's a lot of reasons why something is a success or not. It's not just one thing, but it certainly helped to create an identity. And like you said, yeah. it's an identity that you cannot easily copy or something. So it actually exactly. got to be able to copy it all. So, yeah, I get it. So um, in a couple of minutes, we're going to, uh, I'm going to just put it up because we did it briefly. We're going to do, uh, yeah. Tasting of this wine, and uh, you already talked about it. Esqueli, uh, Gordon Russell was the winemaker. So mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about what's so special about this wine, which is called Terraces. Um, hi, Pipi. Uh, so just give us a little story before we are going to taste it, because I opened it uh, a while before, but actually I didn't taste it. I wanted to be surprised. So okay, yeah. Let's do the story first. <laughs> Let's do the story first. So uh, what's special about this wine is because of the location. Like it's uh, one of the few terrace locations in New Zealand. For some countries, it's not very new. Like, you know, uh, but for New Zealand, it, it, this way of wine uh, growing is, is fairly rare. So to have a terraced uh, vineyard. So because it, get, it gets even maximum of the, of the sunshine, of course, but also... Uh, uh, you get with every layer, you get more access to like the soil we were talking about. Like if you, yeah. you have a terrace vineyard, you know, you have more uh, access to these layers of soil in, in between uh, each terrace. Um, uh, so what's also special about it is that we discovered that it has a very distinctive taste. If you made it vintage after vintage, if you taste the wine, it tastes it has the same taste, even with minimal intervention from the winemaker. So that's what we decided, hey, you know. Um, this, this, this sticks with it, really, it's not it's, changing. Yeah. 
it's really expression of the terroir. So it's really the purest expression of the terroir, and we need to capture this, and we need to let the people know. Uh, so so this, and this is a blend, and uh, there are three varieties in there, yeah. which are all planted in the same vineyard. So single vineyard, the three varieties yeah. these days. Different plots, small plots, but they all uh, hand-picked. Uh, it's very low yield because it's still, um, you know, there are not a lot of vines that can grow there because it's a very limited space. So it's low yield, but it's also um, they're all hand-picked, hand-selected, de-stemmed, and then put in concrete um, tanks that are 70 years old. And it's also fairly new, a new, unique actually in New Zealand to put to put the wine, um, um, to have this process of concrete fermentation. You know, um, yeah. What's so, the reason why um, they why, why they use concrete fermentation for it? Do you know? Because it breeds, it, it has um, concrete, uh, yeah, it's the oxygen part and it, it's uh, something different from, I think, steel tanks or, or yeah. barrels. But, yeah, but the of wine course is they want the, new, the neutral, so they don't want to, at that moment, they don't want exactly. the interference of flavor. But you could then also do stainless steel. But the reason probably is that with the concrete, there's still a little bit More of room for the air. Exactly. It's a natural, it's more natural type of material. It's not like completely closed off from the oxygen. And uh, so that's, that's an interesting thing. And it's also, um, how do you say, a plunge? Uh, that's, that's how you say it in English, I think. Translated from Dutch. Onderdompelen. Like, oh, <laughs> I uh, think, yeah. Yeah, how do you call it? Oh. I, I don't know the English words. When they just put them, hold them down. Hold them down some. by hand, yeah. Yeah. sometimes up four times a day, very gently. They don't want to do it like very hard at once, which is very gently every time so yeah. to extract all the maximum flavor. It's just like really a labor of love, like nothing. But is besides that, uh, I read that there is almost no interference. So this is probably the only one of the only things that yeah. they do in terms of interference during the process. Yes, what they mean with interference is, uh, like Gordon said it very beautifully, is I want to take kind of the winery out of the wine and I really want the expression of the terroir. So yeah. some winemakers think like if you have to do a lot to a wine, like you're heavily oaked and then use this special yeast and like really mm-hmm. uh, steer it in a, into a direction, then you're kind of destroying the whole essence of the wine. Then yeah. sometimes even it's considered you do it like when you have bad grapes or you, your harvest was not so successful, you really try to make something out of your grapes. Gordon thinks like hands-off approach. That means let the the quality of the grapes work. Exactly. So he also uses wild yeast, which is a very tricky thing to do. Yeah, you do it only when you really, really know for sure that your grapes are of good quality. Yeah. Because uh, you know. But to that point about the good quality, you said low yield, and now people will go like, ah, okay, low yield. So that's probably I don't know, uh, two thousand, three thousand bottles. But we're talking, uh, uh, depending on the vintage, two hundred to three hundred bottles, right? Well, it's actually cases, so it means uh, times six, so uh, two hundred times six, but it's still uh, little. I mean, if and, you see, and, and if it's forty more wine, not in every year, yeah. like you said. So there are no, vintages that are not being produced. Only the best vintages are being produced, not every year. And also, if you see it on a world scale, I think uh, still very little. You know. Yeah, uh, for sure. 
but it, it means like you said uh, only uh, you can only work with the best quality grapes yeah. and that's where they say okay if we don't think that that's probably why he thinks he can use it because he knows they're already very picky on deciding if they want to go with the vintage years or no because there's a lot of qualification before that point and uh, well disqualification as well exactly there's a lot of qualification and uh, the low yields also come from the fact that this dry farm so that means uh you know the roots had to really go deep into the earth yeah. to find water uh so the concentration of the plant all goes to growing the grape not growing the the the, the vines and the leaves and the, and, and the sticks everything goes to the growing the grape and that's why it's so concentrated it's low yield yes yeah. but it's extremely concentrated because um you know you don't have irrigation and you don't depend on, on, on the rain. So um, dry farming means that, uh, yeah, you, you usually have taking, a lot of uh, You're just taking it that nature brings it to you. And if it's nothing, if it doesn't bring exactly. anything, then there is nothing. I mean, that's just the result of it. You completely, yeah, you completely depend on the nature, on, yeah, what it delivers to you. Yeah. But I think taking it all, so the unique location of the vineyard and uh, the winemaking techniques, um, yeah, this is what makes the wine so unique. So we're talking about, uh, I was looking, trying to look it up, but I forgot. Uh, what's the um, oak uh, aging uh, on average? How long? 18, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, aged eight one months. and a half year, right? Something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, 18 months uh, uh, on French oak. Um, I think part of it was new, part of it was more seasoned, yeah. but it, it's, uh, so the fermentation happened in the concrete tanks. But it's, and and it then yeah, sorry, and then you go into the no. oak. Then we went to the oak still, but um, yeah, that's to everyone's taste. If it's a lot, if it's little, we will find yeah. out. I think. Yeah, but uh, no, I wouldn't say it's a little. I mean, if you talk to Vega Cecilia and Unico, uh, probably they're going to say this is nothing. But um, for most people, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when you talk about six to 12 months, I would say it's a little. If we go into yeah. uh, more than a year, it's already significant. So it has its effects. You cannot argue with that. And I think it needs uh, the effects. I mean, the grapes need it and the blend needs it. Um, so talking about that, um, let's just taste the wine and then um, we can tell a little bit about um, the uh, limited number of vintages that there are because uh, like you said, only the best quality. So that means that um, there are now, I counted somewhere around uh, 13 vintages on the, uh, that have been produced on the market since 1991, I think. Was the first yeah, one? 91 was the, the first one, correct. I, I can actually look it up for you. Uh, let me see. Um, and then, it, well, it was on average on every two or three years, something like that. <laughs> let me see. We can count it right now. It's uh, 91, 92, 94, 95, 98, 2000, 2002, 2004. Um, then we have 2006, 2009, 2013, 2014, and then next is 2015. So yeah, uh, there's two coming up, I think. It's two coming up, but uh, you know, we never know uh, if they will be released in Europe. You know what the plan will be. It's always, but for now, 2014 is the one that we 
have released in, in the Netherlands. Yeah, so it's, yeah, I mean, the number of vintages is astonishingly low, and it has to do with yeah. the fact that it's not that old yet, but it also surely has to do with the fact that not every vintage makes the cut in the end. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, very well worth mentioning as well. So, um, yeah, like I said, yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> One moment. you had it before, right? But not this vintage? I had it before, yes. Uh, so it's not new to me. But it was not the 2014, or was it? It was the 2013, I think, even, you know? So. Ah, there you go. Cheers. 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 Yeah, uh, I already uh, heard and we discussed it before that it is, uh, uh, well, you would say 2014, you might start drinking it, but this one uh, surely gets even better with the next uh, two decades, uh, more or less. That's also what I wanted to say, is that um, it's still considered a young wine. I think the minimum um, drinking age is now. Uh, well, people also can argue about it, but I think... Um, Seven years later, you can already open up the bottle. Mm -hmm. But I think even with 10 years, it will be even more better. It's still very, it's still very raw. It's still very... The smoothening, the um, smoothening can... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm not pretending to be the world's expert here, but you, you feel that there is more the smoothening to on the, on the rough yeah. edge, but I feel like... But, but you, also, you also feel that it's possible that it will uh smoothen up for sure sometimes. yeah because you have to have uh, compounds to work with to smooth over if you have very little expression in yeah. your fruit if you have very little uh, acidity and um, then uh, there's nothing to develop all you the know? rules are there everything is <laughs> the place to make it the... and i feel like if you have such a like intense like dark fruit bouquet it's plums it's uh, mm -hmm. cherries a uh, little bit of chocolate a little bit of spice yeah. It's it's a real powerhouse, I think, for sure. Like and said, a little bit of chocolate and a little bit of spice. So this is the yeah. choice where, where, where you go into, okay, it needs to be there, but some winemakers think their style is that it needs to be a lot. This one is not a lot. It's uh, enough. Yeah, this is not still not a lot, but I think it's very difficult because, it, of course, it kind of depends on what you're used to, you know, also what you're yeah. used to from New Zealand. But I think compared, I had tasted quite a few New Zealand wines and actually to get this power, you know, in a wine, um, it, it takes a lot because a lot of New Zealand wines have this light and fruity reputation. But um, yeah, yeah, well, if you think about that, then, then there, there is a day and night exactly. difference, obviously. But um, we have to keep in mind there are three grapes in here, Malbec, Merlot and Cabernet Franc. I mean, these are yes. not easy, uh, no. easy guys. So. <laughs> like, like it has, um, uh, yeah, you're right, of course. This is a type of grapes yeah. that are uh, packed with tannins and are intense. But in general, even the red blends can be very light, even too, too supple, you know. Um, but this I, one is uh, ABV of 14.5%. Which is, um, yeah, surely not light, but uh, I never, I, I don't even think, I don't even have the feeling that I'm drinking 14 and a half, to be honest. Um, no, I think it balances pretty well on that level. Yeah. That's uh, it hits you after. <laughs> <laughs> well, tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, we have to uh, check again. I mean, and that's the thing. Now, now we're still going to get to the topic, yeah, um, yeah, about two caps. 
this is this is one yeah. of New Zealand's finest wines. We can yeah. say that um, one of the best red wines pr being produced in New Zealand. But uh, it's also not, not well cheap. Is always relative, but it's uh, certainly uh, uh, compared to other wines that uh, you have in the portfolio. There's uh, quite uh, an uplift yeah. of this, which makes sense because of the whole story and the quality. But um, even this wine has a screw cap. Yeah. So what's the, I mean, uh, <laughs> probably you've asked already a couple of times or you, you heard Gordon say, what is the influence? What, how do you guys see the influence of screw cap on wines that really need to age? Because I do understand that a lot of people think, okay, screw cap, I can live with it. If it's something I'm going to drink for the next two, three years, uh, it cannot have a lot of effect. But if you're telling me that this wine needs to be in the cellar for, I don't know, 20 more years to really get the, the, the best out of it. Um, well, what's the idea then behind it? Well, like I told you before, like the development itself, you know, it, it happens in the bottle already. If you have acidity, you know, if you have the fruit, it will, uh, with, with aging on the bottle, it will turn over. Yeah. Um, but uh, what cork does is it has tiny holes in it which led through, of course, oxygen, which helps this process, you know, helps like uh, to like supple the tenants, you know, helps Does to it kind speed of like... speed it up a little bit also? Speed it up the process a bit, yes, exactly. But what, what cork uh, does is also it can spoil the wine. And yes. there are two main wine fauto mistakes, like we call wine mistakes that can happen is oxidation and TCA, which also called the cork disease, right? And the risk, actually, we have found out is uh, way too big to get spoiled wine. Uh, then it's worth to use the cork. Yeah, for so, so, so yeah. you're only winning and you know, you're, you're yes. never going to lose as much as you could be when you have corks. In your yeah, so we went the full cork uh, over 20 years ago. Um, and uh, the idea was that, that about three to five percent of the bottle uh, of wines are ruined by uh, by the cork disease or oxidation. And imagine, like, if you have a wine of twenty years in your cellar, you're gonna finally drink it, and then it's spoiled. Like, wouldn't you be angry and disappointed? And another person with exactly the same bottle has good wine because it can give you good wine. Cork can can produce amazing wines, but the chance that it gets spoiled is just too big. And if you want consistent quality, if you are a world brand and you want whoever opens your bottle anywhere in the world to have the same yeah. quality. So, um, so what Cork does is because it's a natural product, the, 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 the disease is like a sort of fungus, uh, can be in there and go unnoticed, you know. But also, not all holes are the same because you have different batches of Cork. So yeah. one batch can have like bigger holes, other has smaller holes. So the two same wines can have different, uh, different development, actually. Uh, yeah, so if you buy a case have... and then you have it at home in your cellar, you yeah. could open uh, over the course of a couple of years, every year, one bottle. And yeah. yeah. And it, it will change. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you know what, what happens to uh, wines with too much oxidation? You can have a drop. Yeah, no drop, but yeah. I say like you have like brown residue. bread, yeah. residue, and uh, you cannot drink it. And um, for my, so we don't say we're anti-cork because cork uh, can produce nice, uh, nice wines. Uh, but uh, we say like we prefer to have a method 
that ensures quality at all times. And we even started with the most expensive wine because we're so confident. And we have tested yeah, it out. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. It's a statement that you're making. I mean, if you yeah. can, if you want to, if you choose to go with your most expensive wine and, and put still put a screw cap on it, I mean, then, uh, I mean, then you trust everything with it. Uh, to be honest, it would be very strange if you say, okay, my expensive wine, I'm going to put a cork in it, yeah. but the rest not. Because in Germany, for instance, you see that that some wineries make a decision to have their uh, Premier Cruise and Grand Cruise with cork and the rest with screw caps. So it also says like, yeah. okay, maybe my expensive wines need it and the other ones don't. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, people still consider screw caps to be like quality, like you don't have money for cork. But I always say, if we didn't have money for anything, <laughs> for like corks or barrels, some people yeah. say like you use steel tanks, because barrels are expensive. And I say, well, <laughs> if you want to make New Zealand wine, it's nothing ex uh, cheap about it, like, at all, period. Like, and it's not a about It needs to get to where we are right now. And this is also the a export. topic. Uh, there's a lot of cost in exporting the wines. Yeah, that's why, like, some of the uh, brands that are, like, more bulk wines, they skip uh, a lot of processes. They, they, they tank, uh, tank um, and it's uh, on sea in the container uh, on sea on water. It um, it goes about three months. Yeah. So imagine what happens in the tanks a with those wines. In the yeah, so water. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like um, yeah, there are a lot of things happening to kind of shortcut the process to make it cheaper. But in general, like um, no, there's nothing cheap about New Zealand no. wine. No, I get that. Plus, uh, from an environmental aspect, obviously, a cork is weight and a screw cap is much lighter. So even there with your packaging, you're doing something good with all these bottles being shipped over the world from New Zealand. That's also helping. Exactly. And also one thing that's my worth mentioning is um, the the waste object uh, object of it because yeah. in, in Portugal they have like special recycling. They pick it up, I believe. So it's easy for people to recycle. But here... The metal you can recycle, uh, but of it course you throw away. And the recycling does the, the goes through the exactly. garbage. Exactly. So it's fully recyclable. Uh, the bottle with, uh, that we have, uh, that's with, not all bottles for screw cap recyclable, but in general it's recyclable and cork not. So people throw it away and create a lot of, of course you can save it and do like crafts with it. I'm sure, you know. You can use it for oh. some way. But... <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to say, it's excellent wine. So, Gordon, I, uh, yeah. I know he's not watching right now, probably because of the timing, but he's going to watch oh, it. Oh, he back. will. So, yeah, yeah, but compliments. I mean, uh, it's really a piece of work, and I'm also looking forward to, to see how it develops. I'll, I'll keep some in my glass overnight to see what it does. And um, well, unfortunately, I had to open this. So, um, well, this one is not going to go back into a cellar, but um, I will keep my eyes open for it because I do believe that if you um, take the patience uh, and give it another 10 to 20 years, uh, there's going to be a lot of extra things uh, that are going to happen uh, with the wine and the bottle. So I think it's, um, well, uh, a very interesting uh, wine is an understatement, I would say. Um, Let's do a question from last week, because last week, we, and you already touched a little bit that topic, last week we had a winery from uh, Spain, and uh, they're in the uh, appellation where uh, everybody that lives there is a very small appellation, everybody works in the wine industry for 100, 150 years already, so generation on generation, 
and basically they grew up with the winemaking and it's part of their life. But we talked about the story about New Zealand and, and, and how old it actually the wine industry is. So his question was like, um, how do people in New Zealand look at this, look at what happened over the past decades? Because basically there uh, are some things that, well, quite changed uh, uh, the communities maybe in New Zealand and also all the way of living. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And I think also interesting to illustrate the difference between <coughs> also the new world and the, the old world because the new, the old world is so tightly packed you know all the wineries are very close together yeah. especially with France you know uh, uh, there are a lot of changes constantly in that you know um, um, and in New Zealand because it's such a like a new wine country but a new country in general and it has so little people living there imagine Niels 5 million people yeah Million. I, I just cannot imagine how, like, it, there's uh, at least so much people in Moscow, for example, in just one city and then yeah. in one country. Um, and we have over two islands, spread over two islands also. Spread over two islands, yeah. But the most people live in the Northern Island because that was the one that is, got discovered and everything is surrounded across Auckland because it's a metropolitan, you know, it's a big city. Yeah. There's a Christchurch, Wellington, that's where the people are. And I actually looked up how much people live in Marlborough, for example. Do people live there even, you know? And it's 50,000, so it's, it's very the little. The whole region Marlborough, the whole yeah. population. the whole Marlborough, yeah. So um, even if you look at the pictures in New Zealand, it's like land, it's nature, it's there's a lot of freedom. So yeah. I don't think the the aspect of space it's a it's a thing that I don't think. Um, but I think it's more of uh, a couple of things I think because um, the original people uh, are the Maori of Maori, yeah. how correctly pronounced it actually. And there is a lot of respect. Uh, they had, by nature, a lot of respect for the land, you know. Um, uh, they have all kinds of um, rules. They're like guardians of the land. And New Zealand really respects that. Uh, now there are a lot of laws in place to protect uh, um, New Zealand and also give Maori like a, a voice, you know. So yeah. New Zealand is very, very, how you say it, protective yeah. of this. And what I see happening, um, it was also in the report that uh, Rebecca Gipro, the Master of Wine from UK, about the current state of New Zealand, she mentioned as Savion Blanc got more popular, there are a lot of people from outside coming in, but also a lot of labels being created. So uh, br uh, brands that don't, don't, don't own wineries, you know, just just yeah. collect the grapes, uh, make wine, put it in a bottle, but also create sometimes makeup names of New Zealand land to sound exotic or use uh, Maori tattoos or Maori kind of attributes on the bottles to sell the wine. And this thing in New Zealand they find very wrong. It is actually cultural appropriation. So you have to be very careful with that to kind of like, like you say, talking Miss, about... Miss you take advantage of this. Exactly. Right. To keep in mind that in New Zealand, they're very careful unless you uh, are a Maori owner of the winery. It was one thing to use the name that actually exists because the grapes have grown there. That's completely like um, understandable. But it's another thing to have all kind of like very like attractive Maori names 
to your wine while the owner is Don't not about it. Don't use a fashion thing or a brand exactly. statement. Exactly. Symbols. Or... And so that's one thing that kind of changed, uh, I think, with a lot of like eyes on, on the industry, with a lot yeah. of like interest in the land. Um, and yeah. the prices. I mean, it, it also shows in the prices because prices of the land and the wineries that uh, went through the roof so at the moment it's impossible if you don't have a lot of money to to get into anymore but uh, i mean in the past uh, 20 30 years that was not always the case in the beginning it was actually cheap mm -hmm. so the story I uh, the price was an aspect I, I i think it's more people did not know what to do with the land like for example the Avatri valley where we talked about wednesday the yeah. side of marlborough the southern part but it's very cold People, farmers were kind of scared to get there. Like, what would we do with the land? Will everything, anything grow there? So there's a lot of like experiments with what to grow where, you know? Yeah. So I think that was more the aspect. Can we grow something here? Gimbal gravel is the same thing. People didn't know what to do with all the gravel. It was just like... Yeah, they uh, just gravel, so they're like, okay, where there is gravel, yeah. so you cannot grow grapes. <laughs> no, which, that, was not the, that was not the first kind of... Thing in the mind, if you're not like uh, a well, country that I read that's on the websites from uh, Gimlet Gravels that it was yeah. actually uh, uh, first uh, being used, or it was on S Valley website, I'm not sure, for um, a cement company or construction uh, purposes, the gravel, etc. I believe so, that it was, it was really useful for, for, for everything. Yeah. <laughs> not, no, no, at least not for grapes. I mean, that's the last thing they fall off at the beginning. But imagine they discovered, like, in this such poor soil, yeah. the stones really, like, hold the heat. It, it can get, like, up to five, five um, degrees warmer. It, it keep, and like, uh, and that's maybe that extra push that you need to kind of, like, uh, drive in the grape. And, uh, yeah, they call it uh, sometimes the Bordeaux of New Zealand, but I don't think it's... We yeah, should call it because of, That's because of the pebbles, <laughs> the pebbles and the gravels. Because of the pebbles, because of the, but not because of the like exact conditions, but yeah. Well, but well, I think it is interesting that it is possible <laughs> to create a Bordeaux blend and a good one, uh, I would say, um, uh, in these circumstances. Yeah. So it proves a little bit the truth. Um, we said also, red blend. Sorry. <laughs> Or we say red lens, you know? No, yeah. I mean, I understand people using that, but we try to, like, really, like, you know, not associate it too much because I think... No, but it's not, I'm not saying it because you want to copy it. It's, it's just that for no, a lot of people, it makes, it, it makes yeah. sense if you... Uh, well, they know Bordeaux. I mean, this is the first thing they know about red wine. So it's... Uh, exactly. Yeah, and, they are the, and they are the masters of blending. I mean... Uh, uh, over the last uh, uh, centuries, they, they are the ones that always had to change every year the recipe to create even a decent wine that's, uh, let's say, a good wine. So, uh, yeah. exactly. no, okay. we gave them a little bit of credit without trying to uh, copy them. So, no, I mean, like in this, this of course, a strong sense of competition between yeah. New World and Old World. But I think, you know, we can really exist together like yeah, i would say just a more fun yeah, I agree. and uh i always say there's we are so lucky that we have so much wine to taste all over the world mm -hmm. right like imagine it would be so boring you have to drink the same thing well and, totally agree uh, because on wednesday we talked about new zealand and the week before we yeah. talked about uh, <laughs> the us and uh, oregon and washington so well we yeah. have two very different uh, it's both new world but uh, yeah, i mean you cannot compare uh, totally you shouldn't I mean, just uh, enjoy the fact that there are differences. 
So what? Uh, how, how? Maybe I can ask you a question, Niels. Like, what is your relationship to New Zealand? Like, were you a fan? Like, how did all started? Well, for to be you? honest, I was, and uh, I'm always. Uh, I, I'm just going, not going to say else and if anywhere else that it is. I mean, it's uh, mm -hmm. for me. It was uh, only a one-way street, so it was some your blah and uh, screw caps and Marlboro. I mean, these are the three things that, if you ask me about New Zealand. But on the other end, I'm always open to try new things. I mean, for the reviews, they also sent me ones from Eastern Europe, and I'm always, I always want to try it because I, I, I'm not a, a person that thinks that um, uh, you can only have good or bad. So I mean, uh, everywhere there are people with good competences, and there are circumstances that can make, for instance, a good wine. So you just need to have this, this. Um, let's say, a uh, right combination of skill and uh, circumstances and nature and everything. And uh, what I do believe, and this is what I thought was interesting, which I found out pretty early, is the innova innovative aspect aspect of uh, wine produ production in New Zealand and, and how they changed. So in the beginning, uh, for me, it was very one-dimensional, one-way street, but um, I quickly found out that actually a lot of things happened over a short amount of time. And, um, and mm -hmm. it's a little bit like comparing it with the US. Um, I was in a session yesterday and people were saying, okay, when you talk about uh, the US, um, they use high-tech to uh, create better wines. And well, you could say it's not true, but it's true because they have all these NASA reports to to make, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, deep views of the soil to find the right spot, etc. Uh, but the only, well, not the only reason, but the reason why they're doing it is because they can. And mm -hmm. um, we've got in Europe, we've got a leg up for uh, hundreds of years. So we had the trial and error and they didn't. And now in this time you can use technology or you can use uh, skills from other winemakers, for instance, from France, bring them into a country or a region and develop. And I think you're stupid if you don't do it. So, um, well, my, I take my head off for people in New Zealand that really try to, uh, yeah, to, to come up with things. And this blend is, I think, a great example of it. So, yeah. So there's still a lot of things to come, I think. We're still very much developing. Uh, well, you mentioned Albarino, for instance, which is very new, yeah. I think, still. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, if, if a vine is not 10 years older than 10 years, you don't even have to start thinking about making good wine. So yeah. it, it does take time. But the fact that they're looking at it, it's... Interesting. Definitely. No, I think in the future we'll have more regions, you know, more like... Uh, where we really truly discover the flavor, it takes yeah. some time to kind of like discover that an area has something to offer because usually you blend it and then you, you start to see, hey, this is something special. I don't want it to just disappear it in the blend, for example. And then you have really seen a vineyard in a sense of like, what we're talking about, Taylor's Pass, uh, Wednesday. Yeah, the, the terroir expression, but also the fact that the market is, is, wants this. They want the story behind it. And it, the, the, it's not that they want one story for all. It's not a one-size-fits-all. They want to have something unique. <laughs> and everybody has it, so you just need to find out what it is and then bring it up uh, on the board. 
Um, yeah. Next week we're going to Germany, so a very different country. So when we talk about new world, old world, we go yeah. back into the old world. And we have a, um, a master of wine, Romana, who's going to talk with us about. Uh, it's also a difficult task because we try to cover again in one hour a whole country, um, which it is very easy. Like amazing news. It was very gezellig, like we say in Dutch. Very gezellig. Yeah. Uh, super gezellig. <laughs> over already, yeah. <laughs> So, but, but next week, we have, we're going to try to do the same thing with Germany. So, you, you have a question for Romana about Germany or maybe about uh, uh, who work as a master of wine? Because, well, this is also an interesting aspect, I think, of the show. Yeah, actually, I have kind of like a theoretical assignment for uh, Romana. Okay. I would say because back in the, in the day, New Zealand, they, they had like French and uh, German advisors come there. Hence, the, uh, a lot of German uh, styles were planted there the, in the white wines. But if she was uh, such an advisor, she was invited to like the, the New Zealand uh, 40 years ago, what was she, what, what kind of uh, grape would she plant there and how would she organize the vineyard? Because I know she, she is a specialized in biodynamics. Yeah. How would she kind of like change up the game? Like what would she do? Like if she was uh, to advise to develop a variety there and so, organize. So we go wine. back 40 years in time when there is still... Well, maybe even sense. longer. Maybe, maybe even, I don't know, can we say 100 years? Because to make it more exciting, like at we the just, start of the... just talking about greenfield situation. <laughs> so there is nothing. You, you have all the knowledge that you have now about New Zealand. What are you going to do? What would you pick? Which grapes would you pick and grow? And yeah, what, what everybody was ready for wine. They were saying, we are ready for wine now, but we don't know what to do exactly. Yeah, like. nobody knows so, how to make it. So, Romana, tell us. <laughs> now, which grapes should we plant? <laughs> what region, what grapes, uh, what, what was the first thing uh, she would really do differently in a winery? Like, um, I'm no, sure it's... You have one question, than... not five. Hmm? You have oh, only five, one okay. question, not five. <laughs> no, okay. I'll, I'll mix it up. It's, uh, I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, yeah. I think obviously over time um, things change because we, the insights that you get. So it's hard to go back 40 years in time because, well, you know what you know right now. So you have to let go of all of that. Uh, but maybe that's the beauty if you don't let go and you, well, say, okay, I take this knowledge and bring it back in time uh, to see what I would have done exactly. if I would have known it. And I think it's also very fitting. I thought that more, I already have this philosophy of being the guardians of the land. They're very in tune with, with nature. Um, so I, I think biodynamics kind of like fits there. So I'm curious if she thinks the same way. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. Um, in the meanwhile, if anybody has any questions, um, I don't know if there are still any, then you can uh, drop them in the chat or in the, um, uh, uh, click on the question mark box on the bottom. Um, then we're going to pick them up. I have one uh, question for you about Esquelli. Um, um, Esquelli, so, yeah. Well, not particularly about Esquelli because I know Esquelli yeah. plays a part of it, but mm -hmm. um, the Hawks yeah. Bay, uh, I'm trying to yeah. think it. Um, <laughs> When you look at, uh, I, I don't want to talk about ratings all the time because there's people that love hate, hate ratings. I mean, there's a lot of uh, love-hate affairs around that. But um, in order for a wine country and a wine region to come up in the markets, you need to have some media attention. 
And of course, uh, wine ratings, wine critics play also an important role in there. I read that um, in the region where we're, we're talking about today, where also Asphalli is, um, some of the highest rated wines have been produced there. So we're talking Robert Parker, we're talking, I think, 94, if I read it correctly on the website, points was the highest score for a New Zealand wine. So um, what would you say about wine ratings in general? Because uh, you could say, okay, 94, it's a, it's a great score, but then other people would say, okay, if you go to Germany, every year you find uh, a couple of uh, mm -hmm. wineries that score maybe 100 points even, or uh, 98 points. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's going to be some change about that? Or, I mean, yeah. What's the future of that, or the value of it for New Zealand? Like I think New Zealand uh, will answer more like already of course you have the, the big ones uh, re reviewing your wine and it happens actually quite a lot I have to say I get reports of course with the reviews every every quarter I think so I see a lot of reviews from very known names so it's not something very new but I think what we will get is more uh, com comparative tastings more international level more um, I think New Zealand is going to really, um, yeah, be a big player in uh, in the competitions. But I know necessarily how it would affect ratings. It's difficult for me to say, really, because are they, uh, are, they going to, are they looking more into getting the attention? Because I also know a part of, of getting the scores is is applying for it and going for it and trying to get the uh, review. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you don't do it, then you will not never get it. So are they more? Uh, accepting the fact or going with the fact that they should go to Robert Parker or James Sucklin or whoever is a critic and say, okay, do some more reviews of our wines. I mean, mm, it's a choice no, you can make. Maybe you don't want to do it. Uh, that's also... Uh... Oh, that's so complex, you know, because it's also... Um, our wines are so like also in, in US and Asia and everybody has kind of different, I won't say gurus, but different kind of like experts so it's yeah. very difficult for me to really generalize about this but i think uh, in every part of the world you have different um, opinions about ratings i think yeah, some but you of know the, in the us for instance it really makes a difference if you have exactly. 94 sticker on your uh... exactly but in, in scandinavian countries you know it's all about sustainability and organics they're yeah. very high demands so they will maybe not look in set ratings but as your organic practices and um, uh, the vegan friendliness of your wines and, and yep. things like that. So it, it really depends. But I think uh, in more developing countries, uh, it's very important to put medals and uh, because you have to guide people, you know, they don't know anything yet. The first source of information might be internet, it might be like the wine adv advocate, you know. But uh, as, as you level advances, you start to really look uh, further or other things and like appellation, single vineyard, names of vineyards, stuff like that. That's the and I would not, level. yeah, and I really want to, uh, would not underestimate Fino because it seems like the people are talking, but still, I think it's a very big uh guideline for people to buy wine. And There's I think always somebody right there. I mean, it's the same with Wikipedia if you put something on there which is not correct, somebody else will correct it. Yeah, but I also kind of see the mechanisms. You also kind of get reports of the ratings, how many wines are scammed. Sometimes things cannot be a coincidence. I mean, it cannot be a coincidence that so many thousands of people mm -hmm. have a rating about four. For yeah. example, the, the terraces has 4.4 4. 4. 
I cannot talk anymore. 4.3. And a lot of wines, like anything above four is considered very good. And uh, you have, um, uh, what I want to say about it. They How say like drinks? an average. Yeah, but they, I don't know. I have to look it up. But they say like um, uh, the average wine like this from 2014, uh, a red blend from New Zealand costs like 300 euros. So they have also some kind of price information, yeah. which can really influence people, you know. Yeah, uh, it's a stigma sometimes as well. And uh, yeah. to, be, to, to be honest, I think... Uh, um, we should encourage people to, if they can get their hands on it, uh, try uh, to get a bottle of this because it's really something magnificent. I'm just going to say it again. Uh, we're going to post a review later on uh, yeah. Instagram as well. But um, I think um, if you think about the fact that you produce 250 cases per year, yeah. how can you ever get thousands of reviews on Vivino? Uh, so in this case, no, I think exactly. um, this case, people that drink this, this they, they, they value. <laughs> so your reviews are really yeah. worth something. From otherwise, you will need the thousands of reviews to filter it out. Exactly. So you also, of course, look how well written the reviews are. You look at a lot of aspects. But I think if you know, like in in countries where um, they're very internet savvy, you know, I think they really are a voice of the people. So you should oh, also yeah, be comfortable. But so we have, uh, we have a question? Ask a question. Yeah. yeah, I was just reading. I wanted to answer it. So yeah, yeah, yes, Katya. Do you, feel, um, do you feel the global warming influence in yeah. New Zealand? It will. I mean, we see what happens to Australia now. Uh, like, of course, uh, New Zealand is also affected by this, and we think there are going to be regions that are going to be accessible to us that were too cold before, where we can grow, grow grapes and. Um, which is, I think it's a bad thing because, you know, it's global warming and we don't want that to happen because, uh, you know, it's bad for it's the good, yeah. It's not good. But I think if there's going to be an effect, there's going to be new regions accessible that are too cold. And I think it's going to be more Hawks Bay also. Yeah. So you, you think the area of Hawks Bay is going to expand more or less? Yeah, I think so. And I think, for example, we have Savion Blanc from, from Hawks Bay. We do have it. But... Um, and I think more people, more producers uh, pro uh, grow it there, but it's obviously not so, it's, uh, not so fruity and not so tropical as from Marlboro. And I think uh, you will be able to grow Savion Blanc there more uh, as it gets warmer. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, you're already experimenting with the grapes. So this is one other thing. It's not just a, let's say, uh, a suitable expansion of the, the vineyards uh, size and the new vineyards, but it's also the new grapes like the Albanino, for instance, yeah. that really take, uh, 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 take yeah, a role in the climate change. Ferdello, we have, we have um, like I said, Cabernet Sauvignon has a hard time ripening fully, so... No problem. We have another question. So, Katja, thank you for another. the question. It's a very important question, obviously, because everybody is trying to find a solution everywhere there is uh, global warming. But uh, we've got the question, the uh, potential aging time for Albarino in New Zealand. Well, it's still new, so difficult to say, maybe. But does it mature well in time or best to drink young? Uh, New Zealand Albarino, uh, if it will like, develop, uh, yeah. I think... Um, What's the style they normally use? Is there oak or is there malolactic fermentation being used? Or is this pure, more pure? Uh, it's very fruit expression. I think same as uh, 
what I said you can say about a lot of New Zealand wines, even yeah. a Pinot Noir. Uh, Pinot Noir, Riesling, Chardonnay have a very light style, but but it also depends because Esqueli has a, a very heavy oak. Why makes reserve Chardonnay? Let's yeah. just say, Woof, this is so not what I would expect from New Zealand. But, it's because Esqueli is like a boutique-style winery. It, yeah, so, their so, I mean, there's a market for everything. And then if you make it There's a well. market for everything, yeah. But we make also very fresh uh, Chardonnay that are very compared to Chablis, you know. Um, but I think in general, you can say because it's so warm in New Zealand, the, the, the fruit is ripening well, I think the style will be always very fruity and fresh. Well, yeah. I think uh, also, to be honest, um, I, I'm not going to say Albrino is made to drink young because that's a stupid uh, remark, I would say. I just bought three bottles uh, from a, a very famous Spanish producer and in aging, they're very different. I mean, we've got the, 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 the heads off classic style without intervention. Then we have aging on the lease for five months and then we have aging on the lease for 30 months. So, yeah, um, we use the lease a lot, uh, by the way. Um, so that could be a possibility. Yeah, but so it's difficult. Then, to then say. the story yeah. is different, obviously, because then, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you want the wines to develop. You need it to to get that out of the wine, then the potential. But for now, like I said, Abarino is still very developing. Yeah. I haven't seen anything. Yeah, that's very uh, like has a very big aging. Yeah, so the only hint you can get you you have at the moment probably is is the the winemaking style more or less. And for the the winemaking style more yeah, or less. Ten yeah. years, ten years is nothing. I mean, come back and ask the question in twenty or thirty years, and then uh, yeah. we have a different discussion probably. But then exactly. by then the global warming really uh, had more effect probably. So then the games also the the, the rules of the games change as well. Yeah, exactly. I think so too. So maybe that will come in the future also. Yeah. Very nice opening. Yes. So I don't know if there's anybody else with a question. So um, I'll just give it a minute to uh, drop in if they have so. Um, but uh, for the moment, I have nothing. So um, while we are waiting, I will just introduce uh, our guest uh, for next week. On Friday, we're going to talk to Romana about Germany. So we have a Master of Wine uh, for our next show. And on Tuesday, uh, the 5th, we are going to talk about uh, Italian food and wine. So very different, but we're going to talk about uh, pasta, well, not just pasta, Italian food and wine with the master of pasta. So we have two masters. You're in good company, uh, Ina. Um, yeah. You're with two masters, one master of pasta and one master of wine. So, um, I so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think you're doing good in the lineup, uh, I would say. Yeah. So I don't uh, see any other questions. Thank you for the response. Well, thank you for the question. Very nice question. Yeah, thank um, you. I would like to thank you very much, uh, Ina. And I don't know if you have any closing remarks from your side to the people that watched or are going to watch the review. Yes, I would just say, you know, um, I hope you uh, learned something today. And... Um, and also just have fun with it, like explore New Zealand, yeah. uh, do maybe like a tasting sometimes, buy multiple varieties. They are difficult to get sometimes, but if you look like in, in special shops and uh, yeah, where there's more advanced uh, choice, then you can always find and let me know yourself what you think. So try to look past Sauvignon Blanc or even compare it. Like I also do old world, new world uh, comparison for fun by myself sometimes and trying to learn from it. So I, I have to say, um, 
about this one, it's available, yes, because yeah, um, it's available. We, we, uh, we got it in Holland, for instance. There are not a lot, but if you find on the internet and and even stores in Holland, they are very good in shipping inside other European countries. So you could order it in Holland and then get it to. Uh, but yes. be quick because there's not a lot, sir. Huh? No, there's not a lot left. I have to say this is a really collector's item, Niels. Yeah. I know you just opened it, but hey, yeah. you know, you have sometimes enjoy everything it. for the show. I mean, also all the followers. <laughs> Just putting myself up there and sacrificing myself to drink this. All the sacrifices, yeah. But I say it's a collector's item and uh, you can have it in your cellar and I think it will really increase in value. I can assure you of this, that in future, because we see the demand of Savion Blanc trespass, like anything that we have ever experienced. So we we even have a shortage of Savion Blanc, you know, the luxury, like... Cannot, the world wants it and you're going to provide it. So it will also happen for other varieties. Maybe not as fast, but if you want to have something unique in your cellar. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's a great addition to have, definitely. And, yeah. and I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of it. What yeah. are you going to watch it with? Like uh, a nice movie or? I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I, should, I should cook a good meal with it. So I think a good steak works pretty well with it. And um, maybe oh, okay. I'm just going to hit up the heat up the barbecue over the weekend and uh well i don't know about new zealand in australia i know they do it a lot but how about new zealand lamb well oh, you can yeah, get all the very well option but i'm always a little bit afraid that i ruin, ruin the lamp uh, with the steak on no, the barbecue no. i have to trust to myself but mm, might be a good one i think lamp, lamp chops will be a very good uh, uh, fit also with the wine so uh, a, a lot of like options. A, a lot of options i would definitely go for like a a nice lamb and uh, do but how the TV whatever, whatever the choice is going to be the wine is going to be great so without uh, i'd have no fears about that okay okay thank you well, very thank much you and uh, well uh, maybe we're going to uh, see more of you in the next uh, yeah. uh, weeks or months because well, we did some teaming uh, uh, together and uh, well people uh, really like the uh, the message about new zealand as well Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to point out one last thing. Um, we posted, uh, I posted in cooperation with you, uh, a trailer for Vintage, which is a documentary that uh, was created oh, over the course of the harvest. Yeah. yeah. So um, it's uh, if you go to the uh, Instagram po- profile for the viewers, you can click on the trailer. If you go to the website for DutchWineApprentice.com, you have a link. Uh, I would encourage everybody to uh, watch the documentary. I watched it uh, in one try, so uh, I couldn't stop. I just watched the whole thing in once, and it gives a really, uh, uh, it gives you a couple of things. Um, it gives you a good idea about New Zealand and about winemaking in New Zealand. It gives you a good idea about winemaking in general and harvesting, and mm-hmm. um, it also gives you a good idea about the passion that people uh, bring into the winemaking and the wine growing and the winemaking, um, not just in New Zealand, but everywhere around the world. So people uh, will value more what they're drinking and what they have in their bottle after seeing uh, yeah. the documentary. After seeing how much work is put in, in one glass of wine that you're drinking. And it's also filmed like in a documentary, but a fun way, like it's, it's a film yeah. by an American. It's entertaining and educating. It's entertaining, yeah. It's like you see people surfing high, you see the landscapes. And I heard a lot of people saying we have goosebumps after watching this because yeah. it's, it's just it's just New Zealand. Uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Say. So for everybody, it follows it follows uh, yeah. uh, a 
winery and the winemaker plus uh, everybody working at the winery for uh, the harvest and um, i think it's a great testimonial so um, thank you for sharing yeah. that with us thank and uh, people uh, also can uh, look it up when they type in vintage and uh, that's the name um, but be sure to watch it so Thank you very much, Ina. Again. Thank you so much, Niels. I really, and, uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I hope thank to chat you. more about New Zealand. Uh, everybody, if you have any questions uh, later on, drop them and watch for the review for uh, the wine coming up. Okay. Have a good evening. Well, have a good evening. Bye bye, everybody. Bye, bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Be sure to visit us on Instagram at Dutch underscore wine underscore apprentice and check out our website www.dutchwineapprentice.com for the latest news and content. You can also subscribe to our newsletter through the contact section of our website.